This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello, welcome to Five Live Cricket. The men's ashes is over, ending, as you might expect, with another England batting collapse. They lost the final test in Hobart by 146 runs and therefore lost the series uh, for nil. Former England batter Michael Carberry with us for the next hour. So to uh, West Indian uh, T20 World Cup winner Carlos Brathwaite and we'll look at where it went so badly wrong for England uh, this series. We'll also preview the women's ashes with Kate Cross and we'll look at the legacy of Virat Kohli following his departure as Indian Test Captain. Two perfect guests for Five Live Cricket. Carlos with a, a sort of being able to be impartial and, and not just look at it straight from, a, from an English point of view. And Michael, given, given all of your experience as a former England batter, as an experienced county cricketer and now a batting coach, we, we can delve into so many different layers here, can't we, of where the problems are within the game as a whole. Yeah, um, I think I've had this discussion, funny enough, with quite a few people, obviously, in light of what's happened. And I think the, the problem you've got, the problem's in a couple of parts. You've got what I call the top-down view, and then you've got the ground-up view. Mm. And let me start with the top-down. Obviously, 2015, we didn't have a great one-day setup. We We were dumped out of the 2015 World Cup. And, um, you know, white ball cricket in England was in a bad place. And obviously... Since that time, there's been a lot of investment uh, from the ECB. Andrew Strauss, obviously, came in and made it almost his mandate to, you know, he said, right, we want to win the next Men's World Cup in 2019. Um, and it was an incredible journey. Obviously, we all tuned in and watched, you know, the boys uh, perform as well as they did over many years. Um, and unfortunately, there was always going to be something that suffered in that in that situation and it was the Red Bull game. I mean, I was, I was probably coming to the back end of my career then, and you'd, you'd certainly notice that the the drop off in standard in terms of Red Bull, you know, the the, the pitches, you know, you're opening bat as I was, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to make your way, trying to score some runs, and you're seeing the scores coming down, more people getting bowled out under 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 a hundred and scores like that. And it, it became difficult, I'll be honest. Um, so I can sympathise with some of, you know, some, some of the batters at, at times. Um, and then you sort of, you've got to sort of look at it from the ground up view, um, which is where I'm at now with, you know, working with kids day to day, um, fixing some very, very broken techniques. Um, I think there's, first of all, there's a lot of poor structural coaching, uh, mm. for one. Um, certainly at the, at the you know the youth level, the grassroots level, um, where kids you don't have that old coach that is really on your case, teaching you the, you know the basic fundamentals, right? Um, how to grip the bat properly, how to stand properly, um, to get your head in the right position, all these things as, as batsmen because we're primarily talking about batting. Um, you know, there there it's more about kid uh, enjoyment. You know, I'll go out and whack it and this yeah. kind of stuff, and and actually. Most kids' introduction into cricket now is through the is through the white ball game, so they're watching guys like Carlos, like Jay Russ, like Chris Gale, um, and and others park the ball literally every ball out of the park, um, which is great. You know, it's fantastic. It's great to get a new audience in. But I think coaches have to also understand, make kids understand that 
guys like Carlos, like like Chris Gale, didn't start that way. Yeah, you know, they 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 still have a, a very good basic understanding or grasp of the concepts of batting because there's a massive difference between hitting and batting. And that, and and, that, and that's a really important point, Carlos, isn't it? You, I mean, you don't you don't just grow up turn into the big man that you are and then walk out and uh, be able to whack it. You you have you have to you have to have a technique. Chappers, if I be honest, at under fifteen level it batted all fifty overs for ninety eight not out. So that's just a glimpse into obviously not being the big man from birth and just smacking it. And I like what Carb said there at the end, because hitting has become another thing to add on to your game. But without the right foundation you can't just be a hitter. And I have found it myself as well. I would have been out of the test team and out of red ball cricket for a while. And your, bat, your batting can suffer. You're on the road, um, especially in the position that I bat, six, seven, eight. You come into bat four or five overs. Um, you have two or three slogs and you're gone. And then four games later, you realize you just go out for single digits and you don't have much time to catch form and build form and gain momentum. So red ball is very important. I, I've actually had a conversation with a young West Indies player who asked my opinion on whether he should sacrifice a franchise contract um, to play in our first class tournament. And I would never be one to count pockets. So I told him, look, if the money is going to be life changing for you, then play your franchise cricket. But personally, I think if you sacrifice money and franchise cricket at this age and it gives you the opportunity to build a solid platform in first class cricket you can double triple quadruple that money over a period of time and the allure of franchise cricket is one that we also have to understand appreciate and accept um but to get to that level you need to have a solid foundation on the, it's really interesting on the solid foundation. And and Steve James is going to join us shortly. Both of you who wrote a, a really really good article in the Times. I think it may have been about three weeks ago on the coaching of of batting and and particularly youngsters as well. Um, when you talk about the kids that you're coaching, Michael, and by the time they're coming to you, there are things that are flawed in them that should have been resolved when they're much younger. How old are they when you're coaching them? And, and at what age should things be resolved? Well, I mean, predominantly the age group I'm working with now is sort of around 15, six, 15 16, and a little bit older. Um, so I think for me, I mean, okay, at that, at that age now, you're, you're kind of learning... Um, I suppose now how to play, how to put together an innings, right? But um, which you know can take a number of years. I mean, I, I would say when 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 did I feel I had a, a, a great grasp of how to be a consistent run scorer at first class level? I would say was probably from mid twenties onwards. So right. that's fine. That's learning the game, right? That's that's a different that's a different component. What I'm talking about now is what I'm seeing now is is batting setups, right? So mm. your starting point being in the correct place, right? Um, and like Carlos rightly said, you need certain fundamentals. I still believe, and maybe this is what's changed in the way batting's been coached, is that if you talk to youngsters in particular about, you know, practicing defence, 
it's almost seen now as a bit of a dirty word. And it's not because I'm telling players to be defensive players. Defence is there to keep you at the wicket long enough to make runs if you're going to be a top-order batsman worth your salt. Because the higher level you go, as me and Carlos both know, the less bad balls you get, right? So you need that basic notion of batting. So so defence is something that is not fashionable amongst the younger generation, right? It's not Mm -hmm. fashionable. It's laborious. It's not exciting. And we live in this sugar rush generation of what I call sugar rush entertainment, right? Everyone wants to be entertained, right? Um, which, you know, I say it has its place, but cricket is one of the few sports, no matter, and Carlos can probably tell you more than me because he's probably played more T20 than me. But even in a T20, and I've said this to young players, you have more time than you think, right? Um, and still through the cricket, the two things you need, is patience and time, hmm. right? And this young, so it's a little, you can see what I'm talking about is also a little bit of a societal problem, right? Where life is and feels like it's always in fast forward, right? Kids today are not doing what I used to do as a kid. And it's, you know, due to school and, you know, have people, you know, not being able to get to watch test match cricket. But I would watch the innings, you know, I'd watch how people go about their work, you know? Yeah, don't get me wrong. Sabine Richards was, as people know, was my ultimate cricket hero. But you look at, and Sabine was probably ahead of his time in terms of, you know, that real attacking batsman who, you know, he would he would have easily fallen into today's line of um, short form cricket. But he still had a very good basic grasp of batting, batsmanship. That's what is, for me, is what's dying at the uh- moment. Uh, Michael's point there, Carlos, about you still have a lot of time. Even in short-form cricket, you still have a lot of time. And I have watched a lot of age group cricket over over the years, you know, uh, at club level, but also at county age group level as well. And there does, I have to say, you know, there does feel like... Uh, there is this pressure, whether it's from 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 parents or maybe even from some coaches. I don't know that that you know the kids go out to bat and God, you've got, you've got to you've got to get on with it. You've got to be aggressive. You know, you've got to you've got to make the runs without realizing that that even if even twenty overs can be quite a long time, particularly in junior cricket. Fifty overs a really long time. You don't have to just go out and whack it from the moment you arrive at the crease if we're look if we're talking about getting kids to have the right technique yeah i agree and and when you look at the Ken williamson Ken williamson's of the world virat Kohli, steve smith Drew had an amazing 2016 world cup batting at three for england david milan was number one batsman in the world in t20 international for a while not sure if he still is but you're talking about guys who have a good setup Steve Smith, and I, I think it's only a matter of time before Marnus Labouchain plays T20 cricket as well. You're talking about quality, technical players who can turn it on a drop of a hat. And I was forced to play with Kane Williamson. And in that IPL tournament, he got the most runs, I think. And there were about four or five times he got to 50. And it was off 35 balls. And I could probably remember one shot that he played. But he's able to rotate strike. He's able to defend the good balls, 
when he gets through a period of one, two overs that the bowlers are on top, he's able to ride that out successfully, come out the other end, and then add that hitting ability on top of it. Now, you wouldn't expect Kane Williamson to do the job that Dre Russ would do or Chris would do, but there is a place in the game for Kane Williamson, for Steve Smith. There's also a place in the game for Dre Russ, for Chris Gale. And I think at this point in time, as Carbs rightly said, to play like Craig Brathwaite, to play like Rory Burns, to play like Dom Sibley is seen as a last resort. No one enjoys spending time at the wicket anymore. No one enjoys knocking the shine off the new ball just by being there. And I think Sir Alistair Cook was probably the last of a dying breed when he was someone that had bat all day not be the greatest looking player, but you appreciated what he did. You appreciated the balls that he left. You appreciated him tucking the balls away. And I'll tell you what as well, the best players, albeit they may not score as quickly, you know that there's an area that you cannot bowl at them. And I find that some players are caught in between. They're not good enough defensively. They're not good enough hitters. And then you bowl bad balls at them and they don't put them away. Now, if you're good defensively, you have an area that you know that is where I defend. That is how I defend. That's what I leave. Anything that's not in that area, if I'm a man that loves to cut and pull, if you drop short of what's my defensive or leaving area, I'll cut you, punch you, pull you. If I'm a driver of the ball and you come too full, I'll drive you. Look at Steve Smith. Look at Labouchet. Leave the ball very well. But you come too full and they pick you off just as easily as well. Just on the, on the coaching as well, Michael, when you... When when you get to the very top, you know, yeah. when, when you are with England, are you, are you still, do you still at times need the basic coaching? I, don't, I hope that isn't a stupid question. But, you know, if something's just gone a bit awry and you need to strip back at all, do you still need the basic coaching? Absolutely. Mm. Um, because, you know, over the course of a long career, and I was fortunate I had, you know, 20, 18 years at the top, um, things creep in. Um, you know, through fatigue, through, you know, loss of movement, you know, all these things. Um, and I think you always need that, that someone, that coach you're close to, someone like, you know, we, you know Carlos mentioned Sir Alistair Cook, you know, he had Graham Gooch through a lot of his career as his mentor. And I'm sure Gucci was that guy who kept an eye on Alistair even through the bad period to remind him of what he did well. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, for me, it was Alan Butcher, father of Mark, who you know was was almost like that surrogate figure in 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 my early career and helped helped me understand one my technique two how to score runs at first class level. Now getting back to the coaching, as I said before, I think those those guys those those coaches I talk about sadly are probably either no no longer with us or retired. Um, what I'm seeing now is. And, you know, coaches are in a little bit of a conundrum here now where you get in a situation where now you have to appease a lot of parents who, you know, I've got parents coming to me saying, oh, my little Johnny wants to learn the reverse sweep or the scoop, but he hasn't scored a run in five weeks. And I'm like, well, surely in this situation, ma'am, sir, it's more important that he learns to understand the fundamentals of batting to allow him to stay at the wicket longer, like Carlos said, you know, spending that time, even in T20. Carlos can tell me himself, we both made heaps of runs at T20 level. How many 
of your best innings have come from a slow start when the crowd are going, oh, come on, get on with it, uh, you know. But suddenly, you just you, there's one over. You fancy someone, you go, Whoa. Well, Michael, look at look at the innings that Joss, Joss Butler played in the recent World Cup. When he, what, I mean, in in the semi final, I think he was he was yeah. he was real. I mean, he was he wasn't even run a ball at one stage, was he? Because he had to properly properly well, dig in to get himself through the first bit. Well, Carl, Carlos played with arguably the best. I mean, you, you look at early Chris Gale, where he would go nuts on everybody towards the back end of Chris's career, and I've watched Chris at close lengths. Chris used to pick his fights towards the end of his career. He'd pick his mm. fights, right? And I've seen it. I've, I've been on the receiving end of watching <laughs> the, the universe boss at, at close quarters where he would certainly pick bowlers. I remember my cousin, Fidel Edwards, roughing him up early doors. And he sat in. He sat in. But then we brought on our left arm spinner, game over, right? That, that That's... That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's that no, it's that nous that you're trying to now get across to this slightly younger generation now that it's not about just parking, trying to park the ball into the stands from ball one, right? You, you yes, there's there's times you need to do it. You need you know you're in a run chase. You've got to do all that. I get that, but that's that's not the fundamentals of cricket. You know, it's, it's the same on the bowling front. I I say I've said it to my kids on Saturday. I said, what makes James Anderson a good bowler? And it's, oh, he can swing it both ways. He can do his wobble balls. I said, no. I said, what makes, I'll ask you again, what makes him a good bowler? And they were all lost. The room was silent. I said, because he does any something better than most other bowlers. He bowls the same area, ball after ball. But, but as you mentioned, Chris Gale and his mm -hmm. ability to see out a bowler, we constantly forget that Chris Gale is a test batsman has a triple hundred and a very illustrious test career. So we remember the last three, four, five years, Chris Gale that hit it to all parts. But before that, Chris Gale, spin, pace, whatever, he dealt oh. with it. And you're talking about after Gordon Greenwich and Desmond Haynes, probably even challenging them to be one of the better test openers that West Indies would have ever had. Um, yeah. So then again, we talk about that foundation. Mm. Chris definitely had it. And even for someone like myself, um, obviously I would have rose to prominence with the four sixes or whatever, but that was the culmination of a solid year where he had a good run in first-class cricket. Um, I played 50 over cricket with the senior team and test mm. cricket with the senior team, got a couple of 50s in Australia. And I felt as though part of my struggles after um, the World Cup was partly due to me not playing any red ball cricket. My last red ball game was a test match, my last test match. So I've always been trying to play catch up in 2020 cricket with not a lot of balls behind me, not a lot of rhythm. And then you expect to go and whack the first ball you face for six and get 50 or 15 balls. Uh, it's a very good point you make, Carl, because I've said this to kids, right? That you don't realize the pressure of being a franchise player, right? And, and almost giving up red ball cricket. Because, you know, I get it. Look, you know, someone once said to me, you know, red ball pays the mortgage, white ball pays off the mortgage. I get that, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. I, I, yeah, I totally understand. But I also know how, how hard it must be as a batsman to get rhythm. We all know it's a rhythm game. Once, once you're batting consistently and spending time, that word again, time, you're spending time in the middle, 
consistently. Yeah. I mean, he was a fan. I, I mean, I was on, I was in the car listening to it. I said, something's going to happen here. Right. And, you know, four, four balls later, the game was finished. You know, remember the name. We all, we all remember that. We all, re- we all <laughs> we remember that, that knock, you know, but you're right. It, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, that's why I appreciate, look, the different skill levels that of what you guys do at the franchise level. It, it, but I'm, I'm explaining to a generation now that's coming through that you need to do the 1% things before you get to that level. Yeah. Michael Carberry and Carlos Brathwaite with us on Five Live Cricket. Former England batsman Steve James, who writes for the Times, joins us now as well. Evening, Steve. Evening, everyone. Be- Hi. It, yeah, the article Evening. you wrote before Christmas on, on coaching Evening. and, and batting was, was fantastic, Steve. Honestly, it was so good because it highlighted, you know, as Michael's been mentioning as well, that, you know, there, there are so many subtleties to being an international batter and, the, and those subtleties often with, you know, in the modern era, are forgotten. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it was yeah, slightly angry article. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe ruffled a few feathers. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I do a lot of junior coaching these days, sort of uh, among my school and in the Glamorgan Academy and, the, and in the pathway in Wales. Um, yeah, and just sort of spurred on by another bad England batting performance um and probably seeing those guys batting on one leg in the in the nets before the for the Mel- yeah. Melbourne test it's, yeah I mean I was that was the point that sort of kicked off on about there being too much over complication I think in in coaching in general um and I was listening to Michael earlier um I just nodded my head um when he was talking about the lack of sort of basics and fundamentals being coached at uh at junior levels that's something I've seen over over the last few years and I think that's something that's been creeping in over 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 a number of years you know and I think that's why we're we're seeing what we're seeing now at the is, at the at the top level so is there a is there a I don't know whether quest is the right word but at all levels for it to be for it to be gimmicky and exciting whereas actually at times it has to be really quite technical and dull. And, and I'll give an example, Steve. When I used to do the on-pitch stuff during the one-dayers for England, right? We yep. went through a year, through two or three years of doing coaching masterclasses out on the field during the interval for the for the, yep. for the fans, right? Peter Moores did one where he got two or three lads out of the crowd who I, I don't think at the time we realised for worse for wear and put them through a fielding drill, which scared the life out of me at the time, really, because I don't don't think they could. They were probably seeing three balls coming towards them rather than one for the fielding. But the crowd were entertained. At Headingley, Duncan Fletcher did one with me, and he did right. twenty minutes on bat grip, right, which <laughs> di- which was not very entertaining for the Western Terrace, but <laughs> but was fascinating. And highlight, but just highlighted to me the, the the technicalities, the complexities, and actually how I don't know if you sat with an eleven-year-old, or even maybe if you sat with a twenty-one-year-old who was struggling a bit with their game and did a whole session on back grip, would they buy into it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm obviously a disciple of Duncan Fletcher. I mean, yeah. played under at Glamorgan, and I haven't written a couple of books with him. So, and I've probably learned more from him than anybody else uh, about the techniques of batting. I mean, he, to talk to him about batting is, is a real, real education. And, um, I actually used to travel in the car with him at Glamor- you know, to Glamorgan games. I, I just learned so, so much from, from him, you know? Um, yeah, there's a lot of glitz and glamour and there's a lot of big money in the, 
in the T20 stuff these days. But uh, as Michael was saying earlier, I think you've got to get the fundamentals right first. And then, and Car- Carlos mentioned it as well, you know, how he maybe wasn't such a big hitter when he was younger. I, I mean, my view is that the, the best players are gen- genuinely best players. And if you've got some solid fundamentals and a, and a good technique, then you can pick up a lot of this other, other stuff quite easily. The, the power hitting and the, the sweeps and the reverse sweeps, the better players will, will pick that up quite easily. But, I just don't think we're we're nailing down the the basics at a, a young enough age. Um, one of my big theories, Mark, is that the better coaches should be coaching lower down the system rather than higher up. And the problem is at the moment we've got a system where you you only really earn a lot of money coaching if you get right to the top. Whereas I I think the most important work is done a lot lower lower down the system. But a lot of coaches don't want to work there because there's not much money. They want to want to get to the top where. I think just at the top, you, you know, you're more fine-tuning than, you know, radically changing techniques, you know. we I've talked a lot about technique during this Ashes, but the bottom line is you can't change a, a technique radically during a during a test series. It's more sort of fine-tuning and more about sort of, you know, men, mental stuff and, and, and tactical stuff, really. Michael, you were, you were nodding. Yeah, because, you know, me and J-Mo, we, we came from that same school. I mean, I was probably a little yeah. bit after J-Mo, but... You know, I, I think back to my own pathway as a as a youth player. You know, Graham, someone like Graham Clinton, former Surrey batsman. You know, used to have a standing against the wall, all all twenty of us, and just picking your bat up for half an hour, picking it up straight. Um, again, you know, it wasn't it wasn't exciting, but it was relevant. You know, because you you were you were able to understand even. So this is why I have the you know, a bit of a hang-up when people say, yeah, but, you know, you got to let kids just whack. No, you've got to give kids a good starting position. If the starting position is bad, it's only going to get worse, right? If kid, I have no problem kids going out playing their shot. I, I encourage it. I say, look, if, you, if I throw you a half volley or a short ball, I want you to put it away, all right? The other thing I'll throw in the mix, guys, I mean, you, t- you tell me what you think as well, but I think also some really bad coaching aids as well have led to some of the the faults I've seen even even in this you know with these batting performances in the ashes you know I think these dog sticks I think they they have a lot of responsibility for some poor techniques as well I, I think back to I can't remember when they came in 2013 something like that where we used to throw we used to buddy up and throw to one another you know you throw seam up throw some new ball stuff yeah. and try and you know work around the front pads throwing the odd bumper and your eye line stayed at a normal level, right? You're watching the bowler's hand. And then these dog sticks came in. Now, I can imagine a coach, say, Carlos's size. Carlos, what, you six foot five, right? You put a dog stick in Carlos's hand, which is about that size. <laughs> yes. I'm now, you know, as a little kid now, I've gone from looking at what we call that, you know, normal eye line level to suddenly I'm here. And even even as a pro, I don't care how good you think you are, you you, you see someone coming from that height, you, you're going to be wary of that bounce. Mm. So, I said, I would, you know, I said to my mum earlier, I said, I'd be interested if someone had a camera on me in the last three years of my career, how much different it was, say, versus my best years where we didn't have the dog stick. And I could see for myself how far forward I used to get by the time I finished compared to that that point in my career. Because, you know, I looked at this um, young ha- um, Hamid, yeah. right? 
And um, the problem is so obvious. This is why when I heard noises that, you know, they're bat- they got them batting on one leg. And I'm like, how is that the problem? Yeah. I'm watching Hamid go back to everything. And the problem are these huge trigger movements. Everything, batting's become very ugly to look at now. You know, I think, you know, I grew up in that era, say Viv, Gower, Graham Thorpe, Mark Butcher, Ricky Ponting, Brian Lara. You know, mm. what was the common, Sachin Dendul, what was the common theme for all those players that had flow? Beautiful, to beautiful flow. to mm. Yeah, even, even Virat Kohli, who we're going to talk about later on. You know, early Virat, there was a flow to his game, right? Lovely pick-up, glides into the ball. Now what you're seeing is these wide stances huge back foot movements. And when you move that far back, invariably your head goes back with you. Your head's the heaviest part of your body. There's no way you can transfer your weight forward. And I and this happened to this poor lad every single test match. He got out virtually the same weight, right? And no and you've got how many batting coaches on that trip? You'd mean to tell me no one can go to Hamid and say to him, mm-hmm. look, son, if you if it's about the pace you're worried about Get inside the box, as I did to Mitchell Johnson. Get inside the crease. You give yourself an extra half a yard. But get your weight coming forward. Get your head coming forward to the pitched-up delivery. You can't go back to every ball. Joss Butler, same thing. Going massive movements back and can't get their weight forward. And Steve, you wrote the same thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the, the point Carbs made about the dog stick, that was something I mentioned in the article, and that is a, that is quite a big gripe of mine. Players don't get forward when they're using that dog stick, especially younger players. It, it's just The height from which it's thrown is, is just too high. So, yeah, totally agree there, Carbs. And the thing with Hamid, I'd say, is so that big back movement, he wasn't doing that last summer. So he's mm. decided to do that for this series, which is quite a big change, isn't it? You know that, Carbs. Um yeah. to make that change. And as you say, his weight was, was never forward and he basically wasn't moving after that trigger movement and his hands were just being thrown yeah, out in front of him. I'll tell you what I've mentioned here as well is Ben Stokes. So Stokes was brilliant, obviously, in 2019, you know, the World Cup and that innings at Headingley. But since then, he's introduced this big back and across movement. Mm. I think he, he thinks that um, maybe he can play the ball later, but I don't think it's Im- improved his game. Um, I'd be interested to know whether that's come from him or whether that's come from the coaches. But again, that's quite a big change to make, especially when you've been so successful. I know players are always looking to to get better and better, but to make such a big fundamental change, I was I was quite surprised by that. And you know, he might look back now and and think, well, actually, has that benefited my game? Um, yeah, he was obviously rusty in this series, and you know the question marks about whether he should have actually started the series, and he probably shouldn't have played in that last test either, should he? But um, I think he really struggled to find the balance between defence and attack in, in this series. Uh, Steve, thank you very much for coming on. Steve James, former England batter, uh, now writer for The Times with us on Five Live Cricket. Uh, let's talk about the county game. Uh, before we hear from Carlos and Michael, this is what Chris Silverwood had to say about that and also his own position. Well, from a personal point of view, yes, I definitely have the hunger to carry on. Uh, as I've just said, it's, you know I mean? Yes, I'm honoured to be the, the head coach of England, but I'm like you guys as well. I'm, a, I'm an England cricket fan as well. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm desperate to see England do well. Uh, and I'm desperate to influence what we can influence to, to make us better and keep us moving forward. And, you know what I mean? To help make those changes. But we'll give these guys a platform to actually learn the trade on. You know what I mean? To, be, to become better at building and, uh, you know what I mean? At, at creating partnerships. And we need a platform for them to do that. 
Pacific and Loma Trade. And I think that's one of the changes that we need to sit down and talk about. How do we get that into county cricket to make sure that actually we're giving them an opportunity? Because at the moment you can question whether or not these guys have an opportunity within a domestic game to actually learn the trade, to learn the skills that they need to compete at this level. But that's the question we've been asking for years. Chris, you can go back four years ago, four years before that, and just keep going through Ash's visits here. We need to do this and nothing ever happens. What, 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 what can you do? What influence can you have to make something change? Well, I mean, it's, it has to change, you're right, because what I would hate to see is that in four years' time, whether it's me or someone else sat in these shoes, uh, having the same conversations again because it means we've we've failed in that respect. We need to somehow find a way of game of championship running throughout the year. So, you know, I mean, back when I was sort of coming through, we used to play the championship all the way through the year and you would get where up front is a little bit sporty, but during the middle of the summer, the wickets flattened out, the batsmen came into the run, the spinners came into the run. That's when the spinners bowl the majority of the overs and, and learnt the skills that they need. Uh, but equally, as a fast bowler, you needed a little bit of extra pace, a bit of bounce, or a bit of generate movement to actually compete when the wickets are there as well because it's slightly more in the batsman's favour. And it allows them to learn how to, as I said, compile beginnings. It teaches them, or gives them an opportunity to learn how to get greedy and push on and get big scores, but equally create those partnerships and get used to scoring 400, team 450 on the board. And I think that's what we need. And somehow we have to make it happen. And I think... You know what I mean? By me speaking out about it, by talking to obviously Ash and, and Tom and people like that, hopefully we can get us all around the table and make this happen, find a way and find a plan of, you know what I mean, of fitting this into the schedule and giving these guys the opportunity. And the encouraging thing for me is the fact that it's actually been acknowledged that this needs to happen now. So I think we actually have moved forward rather than just talking about it. But what I'd like to see now is some action. Carlos, uh, you, you will have heard even from afar discussions about the structure of the county championship when it's played this is, i mean this is nothing new and just because i mean would you would you think that even just because he's talking about it now that there's any that any action will be taken now compared to i don't know where we probably had this discussion four years ago or four years ago before that i i think it's a bit rich for everyone to just blame the county structure i come from the caribbean where um we've gone to this fancy franchise First class structure. Some franchises don't even have have a physio, and I was fortunate enough to be um, representing Warwickshire in the summer. And the staff that you have access to is amazing. Like you have everything you want. Um, pitches are always prepared. Albeit if you have obviously inclement weather or whatever, you have Merlins. Um, there's one that you, you take the Merlins. You spin one that you don't need. Um, you don't need a cricket ball, um, the tent, the bowling machine boy can use cricket ball. Mm. They've got a soft mat that replicates like a slow wicket. You have the fast bowling machine that you don't need with the, um, no need a coach there with the electric arm. So I think with all these facilities and with everything you have available, I don't, I can't stay, sit here and say that it's not the county structure because I've not been a part of the four day setup. I've not had a season with a county where I, um, where I go through. The, the ramifications, um, the ranges of your body to try to get through a season. So I would not be best placed. But what I can say is looking from afar, if these players had to go through what West Indian players have to go through, half of them wouldn't be professional cricketers then. Because I can sit here and safely say that if I look at the pathway from you know, under-19 English cricketer 
to professional cricket to international cricket, it is 10,000 times easier than the pathway from a West Indian under 19 cricketer to professional cricket to international cricket. Simple things like staff, like facilities. We'll go to some grounds and the pitches aren't prepared. You've got a 9 to 12 slot and the pitches aren't prepared or ready to hand over till 10.30. So you actually really and truly have to get through eight, 10 pairs in an hour and a half. Sometimes you don't got water, you don't have um, electrolytes. So when people say, oh, the county game needs revamping and this and that, I think as much as there may be problems in the county game, as Chris Silverwood and as Joe Root said, and you know, I must take their word for it, and it'd be interesting to hear Carb's um, idea of it, having played for so long. But with everything available at your fingertips, I think the players need to take more ownership on themselves to get better, to be able to compete and to be able to do the things that are necessary to be successful at international level. It's an interesting perspective that, Michael. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. So, again, I've, I think there's a couple of parts to the solution. I think Chris Silwood is, and I feel sorry for him to some degree because he inherited this team, right? Um so I, don't, I, I I like Spoons. He's a great guy. You know, I feel sorry for what's happened to him because you know no one wants to see England get beat in that way. Um, but there's a couple of parts I want to add in as well, and I totally agree with Carlos as well on on some of the points he's made as well. I think that word player ownership. Right now, I know being a been a long term county pro myself that you don't unfortunately get to face. Mitch, uh, Mitchell Stark, Cummings, Hazelwood every week because our, 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 I suppose our conditions don't allow for it. Right, we we play say the first three months on you know soft green pitches that are slow, um, whatever. Then yeah, they may flatten out if we get some good weather, and then you know back into the season it's gone back to soft green pitches. Um, and I think in that situation, as I had to, I recognised that and realised that, you know, I never trained for first-class cricket. So my mindset was always slightly different to most of my peers, is that I wasn't going on bowling machines at 70 mile an hour um, with no threat of being hurt or embarrassed or anything like that. I would go, I mean, Jimmy Adams is the West Indian legend, is someone I played against when I was very young in, in league cricket. And I remember him giving me one bit of advice when I was about 16. He said, once, twice a week, go and find some pace, right? And I would do close-range stuff because I it was always in preparation for hopefully one day I'd get the opportunity to face Mitchell Johnson, Dale Stain, mm. whoever it might be. So I'm, I'm as ready as I can be. So I think part of the problem is, like Carlos rightly said, are these players going off themselves and finding those challenges in practice, right? Because knowing that week-to-week... In county cricket, the majority of the time, you're, it's what you're going to face. It's people who bowl under 70 mile an hour, keeper up, all these things. But I come back to my point. So that's one part of the problem. I come back to my point, which is slightly below what Chris Silverwood is saying in terms of, you know, batters being able to build innings, learning to build innings in championship cricket. For me, mate, that's got to be done when you're younger. You got you got you got to be taught that when you're you're coming up into junior level, right? Yeah. That you get, as I say, from a young kid, you get the fundamentals in place. This is how you stand. This is how you grip the bat, right? As you start to get 
to say 17, 18, 19. As I say, the conversations now get more away from technical and it start you start to be taught the game, right? Like, as you know, they say, you used to get t- teach the game at the bar, so, so to speak, you know, yeah. count you, get your runs in tens, you know, break down sessions, breaks in play, you know, get yourself in. You know, that's what you're you're starting to teach youngsters so that when they break in the first-class structure, they already have a notion of how to build innings. If you're, st- if you're already a pro and you have no idea how to build an innings, <sighs> that I think that's a tough learning curve. I, I'll be honest with you because county cricket, you know, I know Carlos hasn't played first-class, but I can tell you guys it's relentless, right? You're playing yeah. and games come thick and fast, Right. You, you finish one four-day game, you're straight into another four-day game, you're straight into another. Four, it's relentless, and if you're out of you're out of touch or you don't have those basic building blocks in place, it's a, it's a very it's a very tough place to learn now how to bat. It could take you years. It could set you back years, right? Um, this is why I say it's. I think at the and JMO made a great point about it's what you do at the junior level. Right, so when you break into the first class structure, you should already have a, a, a basic notion of batsmanship. Now you can add to the melting pot. You can do what Carlos has done. You can add that power. You can add that power hitting for the format you're playing. But you can easily click back into gear and know that right, this is the process of batting. That's what's gone out of the game now. It's all I must get on with it. You, I've, I've had co- um, kids not selected because they're not 360 players, yet they've killed off 300s. You know, that's crazy to tell a 14, 15-year-old that you're not playing because you don't hit enough boundaries. This is what's going on in the game right now at, at the junior level. So you can see that what this is, the, this Ashes defeat is the result of bad structure. So with all due stretch, Chris Silverwood, you know, rubbishing the, the cat. I don't know. Look, it's not, no system is great. And we can only work with the conditions we have. We live for eight months of the year in a cold, wet country, right? Standard. So we can't suddenly, suddenly start putting pace and bounce in the wickets. They've never been quick wickets. But we, what we can do with our, our, our young generation coming through is get, stop the overthinking stop with all the fancy coaching aids and tools and get back to good old-fashioned basics. It's fascinating stuff. Michael Carberry and Carlos Brathwaite with us on Five Live Cricket. Uh, men's Ashes is over. The women's Ashes begins when Australia take uh, when England take on Australia and Adelaide in the first T20 of their mixed format series. England looking to regain the Ashes for the first time since 2014. Let's talk to England bowler uh, Kate Cross with us live from Adelaide. Morning, afternoon. How are you? <laughs> Morning, everyone. I'm good, thanks. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good, thanks. Pre- preparation has been... Well, I think Heather Knight at one point described it as laughable at times, didn't she? Yeah, we've had, um, we've had a bit of a tough phase coming into it, to be honest. I think, your, you know, your COVID protocols that are coming into the game now that are like were new two years ago, not so new anymore, um, kind of restricted what we were able to do before we flew over here. So... We all had two weeks on our own. Um, if you lived with a partner, they were feeding the bowling machines and strapping the pads on and, and facing you and stuff. But otherwise, it's been um, yeah, it's been not ideal, but 
it is what it is and we're going to have to crack on with it and, and hopefully when that first game comes on Thursday, give it our best go. So g- given um, given how huge the debate was around the men's preparation for their Ashes and how undercooked they were, is there a sense of, I mean, you're going to be confident, obviously, all of you in your own abilities, but is there a sense of trepidation on the preparation side? Um, not necessarily. I think we're all aware, obviously, if you were designing your preparation for a series like an Ashes, which is you know just as important to us as it is to the guys, you know it wouldn't be what we've what we've had for the last three weeks. But I think, and if COVID's taught me anything in the last two years, it's how adaptable we are as players and as a team. And you know we've we've gone through some pretty tough phases, um, and this is no different. So I think it'll hopefully, in a way, kind of drive us on a little bit more and switch us on more when that first game comes round because we've not had as much game time as we would have liked. Um, our last competitive fixture was September um, and we had a, a training camp over in Oman in December which got us outside on feet, on turf. Um, but otherwise, like I said, it, it's not been ideal. So I think it's it's now going to be more the mental side of, you know, you don't become a bad cricketer in two months. So it's going to be more the mental side of how we switch on as a team and, and get ourselves up for this, this series, which is going to be tough. It always is when you come over to Australia. And, and, and getting used to comp- competition again, isn't it? That's that on the mental side. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think almost the Ashes does that for you. You know, it's not it's not something that you know it's not a wet, gloomy Saturday in England where you, you're turning up and <laughs> trying to drag the covers off. It's you know you're gonna we're getting to play at the Adelaide Oval, which our schedule changed last minute. Um, the T20s we, we were supposed to be starting with the Test match on the 26th, but mm. the T20s been brought forward because we found out we've got to do some hard quarantine when we travel over to the World Cup um, when we go to New Zealand after the Ashes. So there's been a lot up in the air and in a way we've almost not had to think about cricket yet, which is is quite novel for us as a team. Um, but like I said, I think, you know, the Ashes, it's one of those series that you're desperate to play in. It's it's the pinnacle of our sport as well. So we, we're, you know, we're just keen to get going now and we're kind of chomping at the bit for Thursday. And 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 the switch of the formats, how, how, as in the order of the formats, how, how much of a difference do you think that will make? Um, interesting, actually. Personally, I think T Twenty is probably the best format to start with, um, for a few reasons. Just you know, bowling workload workloads for the bowlers, building up to a Test match is always going to be bigger because we we you know we don't play that format often, so we have to really focus on making sure we've got overs in our legs when we're prepping for that. So. I guess with T20, it's four overs. You know, you don't have to worry about that side of it. But I think T20 could be anyone's game. And it's almost the best format to start with because it, it gives people the freedom to go out and play the shots and everything that you were just the opposite of what you were just discussing then about the test cricket. But, um, <laughs> I think in a way, yeah, you get to play 360 in this one. So I think um, it, I think it'll just be, be good for everyone to get out there and, and actually play some cricket. And, you know, we've got a really big three months of cricket ahead of us. It's We've never had two kind of global events like this back to back. So there's a lot of cricket for us to get our teeth stuck into. And hopefully if we can have a bit of success, you know, it's kind of career-defining moments for us. It's a ridiculous year, isn't it? I mean, in a good way, mm. but it is a ridiculous year. You're throwing the Commonwealth as well, Kate. Yeah, it's just something that we, we've... I've kind of been advocating for this for so long now, but we just needed to play more cricket. And I think the summer that we've just had over in England, you know, with the 100, the Rachel Hayo Flint and the Charlotte Edwards Cup, it just gave us, us so much more opportunity to get out of the nets and get onto the pitch and learn in the middle, which I think is when 
cricketers do or well most of their learning so the fact that we're getting to do that through the winter and then go into another incredible summer which again the commonwealth it'll just hopefully it'll just be another event that kind of turns people's heads towards cricket which the 100 did we saw that in the summer but hopefully it'll just get you know more bums on seats and more young girls and boys interested in our game because hopefully it might open that audience up you know to a wider group um, I'm sure we'll talk more over the course of this series, but uh, just to let you know, it is uh, wet and windy and plenty of winter training uh, <laughs> uh, over here. Whilst, what a uh, shame. You're... <laughs> enjoy, the Adelaide, enjoy the Adelaide Oval, Kate. Talk soon. Good luck. Thanks very much, guys. Thank Thanks. you. See you soon. Kate Croft. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. Uh, yeah. Every ball of the ashes live on Five Live Sports Extra and BBC Sound starting at 8am on Thursday. Does that make sense to you, Carlos? Actually, maybe it is better this way to start with the T20s rather than starting with the test match? Yeah, that was actually a very good point, especially with getting miles in the legs. Um, fast bowlers um, is a fine line between being overcooked and bowling too much um, and also bowling too little. And you could find that if you're just warming up um, or you're just practicing, you're going through, let's say, bowling a five-over or six-over spell um, and the paces only may come back after that to try to replicate a second spell. Um it just isn't the same as when you're in the middle, you bowl it over, you probably chase two or three balls, you bowl another over. You just can't ever replicate um, either batting or bowling um, the match scenario. So, I mean, I have never looked at it from that point of view, but as an interesting way to play the T20s, you get miles in your legs and you build all the way up um, to obviously a higher bowling load. Just going to do the last three or four minutes of the show on uh, <laughs> this won't be happening. Won't be happening on an Indian sports radio station. They wouldn't have just done the last three or four minutes on Virat Kohli stepping down as India's Test captain, a former India wicketkeeper, deep dust Gupta joins us on Five Live uh, Cricket. Uh, how how is the nation deep? Oh well, obviously a little stunned and surprised uh, because it just kind of came out of the blue. Nobody was expecting this. Uh, so uh, a little surprised, yes. I thought his uh, I thought his statement was really good, actually. And just, just mm. you know, saying, you know, after after seven years and everything, it's time for someone else and, and sort of that, not that exhaustion, but time to pass it on, really. Yeah, that, that is, I, I thought uh, the statement was spot on. And uh, he's always been very, very upfront and honest. Uh, that's the kind of person he is, whether it's on the field or off the field. So I think that that statement was so much him. Uh, yeah, uh, if, if you look at the uh, the cycles as far as Indian cricket is concerned, uh, it, this is roughly around six-year, seven-year cycle. Uh, you're starting from Mohammad Azaruddin, then, you know, Saurav Ganguly, MS Dhoni, and now Virat. So, you know, six, seven years is good enough. And I think after that, it's time to move on. The other thing that might have been the reason is, listen, last year or so, um, you know, there's been a lot of off-the-field chat regarding captaincy, whether it was T20, ODIs, uh, and that kind of coincided with Virat, you know, not scoring as many as we expect him to, or, or rather he expects himself to as well. Uh, so I think, uh, I wonder whether he reckons that, you know, all this chat about, you know, captaincy and off the field is kind of affecting his cricket or not. So maybe uh, maybe that could be one of the reasons that he would just want to focus on his game. 
Michael, the uh, the game as we discussed a little bit on Saturday, the, you know, the game at, at Test level needs a needs an Indian captain who adores Test cricket, doesn't it? In the same way that Virat gave his all for Test cricket. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a huge Virat Kohli fan. Unfortunately, I never met him or had the opportunity to play against him, but I think he's been a wonderful ambassador um, for Test cricket in particular, and it's great to see you know, someone of his um, profile, you know, constantly promoting Test cricket um, because it's important. I think, um, you know, whether people like it or not, it, it is dying um, to some degree because of the riches you can gain in the shorter form of the game. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's sad to, you know, see a great player struggle, but, you know, I have no doubt that, you know, he's obviously made that decision with the best intention to you know, want to regain regain that form that we've all we all know of him. Um, he has, like most batsmen do, you you go through patches where it's tough. And and as I said before, I'm someone that you know I've watched him at great quarters. I've you know watched him as a very young man when I first toured India in 2008, and there was lots of raps around him then. And you know, I hope again, similar to what Joe Root has done, you know, he goes back to you know, that Virat Kohli of 2014, where he had that lovely flow to his game. It, it, it's looked hard work when I've watched him, certainly at parts last summer when he was batting in England. It, you know, he looked like a man fighting a lot of things, fighting his technique, fighting the game. Um, so not having that, I suppose, extra baggage now of ha- captaincy. And, you know, I believe he became a father recently as well. So, you know, congrats who, to him on that. You know, who, it, it, it will lighten some of the mental load, I guess. Deep, very quickly, who might come next for India? Yeah. That's a very good question. I mean, ideally <laughs> speaking, the, is Rohit, but again, uh, uh, it'll be difficult. I mean, Rohit's not getting any younger. Chances are he might not be uh, available for, because then he'll become a captain for all three formats. And uh, yeah, I mean, Kale Rahul is, is obviously another option, a, a very good option at that. So I think between Rohit and Kale Rahul, one of them, but... Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it's it's difficult to figure out at this point in time, to be honest. Deep, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Deep Descriptor on Five Live Cricket. Carlos, Michael, fascinating stuff from you both. Uh, enjoy the sunshine. Have you just missed that amazing goal on Five Live? Oh, what a goal! It's stuff that dreams are made of. Download the BBC Sounds app and you'll never miss another moment. You can go back to the start of any live show or match. Pause the commentary mid-action and even rewind to hear it again and again. Oh, oh, what a goal! Play, pause and rewind. Live radio that you control. Listen on BBC Sounds.